Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. By podcast episode 19. Uh, with me today is uh, Michiel Fokke. He's uh, CTO at QB. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. So I would like to, uh, like to start off with your background a little bit. So could you tell a little bit about that and how you uh, got into technology? Oh, that's a very long time ago. <laughs> I think um, that must have been around my uh, tens age. Um, and um, uh, we had um, uh, the Vroom en Dreesman. And somewhere in the um, TV department, there was this um, brown uh, keyboard thing with Commodore 64 on there. And oh, the oh, first really? time that I, I got my, my hands on that, I was immediately hooked. So uh, I got uh, all my uh, savings together and I uh, bought myself um, a Commodore 64. And actually that was where my, um, uh, basically uh, my interest in, in computers technology uh, started. Okay. And uh, what, what did you do on it? So did you like really, because you could create like programs on that, right? It's before my time. but <laughs> Yeah, I basically, I, I did everything that you did good on that. So I, I programmed in basic, I programmed in assembler. I played a lot of games, of course, uh, uh, games that you could copy from cassette tapes. I don't know if you still remember. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's, uh, I, I had, well, we had cassettes for like the Super Nintendo and stuff like that. Uh, but it, this is, of course, for before uh, the Super Nintendo and Nintendo came out. But there was a lot, a lot of games on cassettes. <laughs> I can remember. But um, that's also where what sparked your interest in like development and stuff. I think, right? Um, well, one of the things that um, uh, basically later on, uh, when uh, after my uh, my high school, I went to to Delft University of Technology and I studied physics there because I um, I have a, quite a broad interest and I didn't want to choose too much in in a narrow um, um, area yet. And that was also the case where informatics was very much also uh, towards. Um, office automation mm-hmm. and, and these kind of things. And I, I had really a, a broader a broader interest. But during my study, um, more and more stuff got automated. So I, I uh, during my graduation project, I had to do a lot of data acquisition for measurements that were part of, of my, um, uh, my research topic. And then, of course, to be able to process all these, um, this data, we used computers for that. Mm-hmm. And the moment that those computers got um, networked, that really sparked my interest because I really saw that um, the amount of uh, possibilities that opens up when you when you put a couple of computers together in a network, that that would be really enormous. And then after my um, graduation in Delft, my master's, uh, I started a PhD, also still in, in uh, more in mechanical engineering than, uh, than in IT. Uh, the, the internet came up. And uh, somewhere halfway during my PhD thesis, I thought like this: this is really going to be very cool. This is going to be big, and I want to be part of it. Yeah. So that's that's like the kind of transition that you went through to get to the real IT stuff that you're doing right now. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, how how did you get to QB? Actually, that's uh, I think an interesting story uh, to 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 know why why you started at QB uh, altogether, but also uh, what, what sparked uh, your interest in QB as well. Um, yeah, there was. A bit of a coincidence uh, in a normal way that uh, people get uh, their uh, job through their network. So yeah. um, during um, the beginning of 2000, I uh, was working still for KPN and we were um, starting an internet service provider in Berlin. It was the time uh, in, on the height of the internet bubble when everything was possible and KPN thought that it would be uh, a big European player. They wanted to have uh, basically in every European country to have a... Um, uh, mobile uh, uh, network operator and uh, an internet um, service provider. And mm-hmm. in Germany, they already had E plus as a mobile operator and they wanted to have uh, uh, an internet service provider next to that. And uh, uh, we were building that up from, from a team from say 10 people to uh, on the, the height, um, uh, roughly 130. And one of um, my colleagues there uh, was uh, the wife of one of the founders of QB. Ah, okay, and that's how you kind of got to know what QB does and uh, what uh, uh, why you would like to join as well. I think. 
Yeah, well, the thing is that in 2002, the um, uh, operation in Berlin was shut down because uh, KPN was almost bankrupt and they had to really cut a lot of um, activities. Mm-hmm. And we basically, we lost a little bit contact. And um, a couple of years later, suddenly, uh, Arjen Norberg, uh, one of the, the founders of QB, uh, he gave me a call and he said, oh, do you still remember me? And uh, <laughs> yes, I did. And uh, yeah, I have my own company right now and we are growing a bit. And I saw on LinkedIn that you're an IT architect and I think I need uh, your advice. And then we had lunch together. And uh, after that, um, he said like, oh, I don't want your advice. Just you, I want you to come work for me. <laughs> and then I was already living in, in Rotterdam and, and QB is in Amsterdam. So the first three times I said, no, I don't want to be in a traffic jam anymore. <laughs> I did that before and it's really horrible. But then again, um, I was working for, for a quite a bigger company uh, by then. Um, it was um, uh, what was called uh, formerly Logica, now CGI. Mm-hmm. And I always long back to the time that I was working in a smaller company where the, the lines are shorter and where you have, where basically your work has more direct impact on the business. So after a couple of times then, um, well, basically I, uh, I gave in and um, I started as uh, the first uh, architect at QB. Okay. And QB was really a startup, 35 people. Uh, they um, had uh, basically what you now would call uh, pivoted toward a product market fit. So the first product that QB uh, invented basically was uh, something that would now be called a smart home hub. But uh, that was already in 2006, I think. And um, then um, the Internet of Things was not a term that was being used. Smart home was not something that um, was f- uh, were people familiar with. So um, uh, they were uh, ahead of the times. Mm. So it was a quite advanced um, uh, device. Uh, therefore, it was pretty costly, but it was also pretty, uh, you need to have technical skills to, um, uh, to basically program it. Yeah. And the people that were interested in doing that, they couldn't afford the device. And the people that uh, could afford the device, they didn't want to program. Yeah. So yeah. that was a bit of a problem. And then um, from that first prototype that a, uh, basically it was a productized um, uh, version, but that, that first product that they had, they were thinking on how can we use technology in the home? Because that was the thing that the founders of QB, um, the, the, the itch that they want to solve. They said that there are so many things in, in, a, in a house that are uh, really um, not efficient. And we think that technology can help. Yeah. And then they were looking at how can we, basically come up with a proposition that um, uh, is, is feasible to get in a larger amount of households. And because of the fact that the three founders of QB had all three a background in telecoms, and that in telecoms, due to the liberalization of the market, uh, the, the market changed quite a lot. They were thinking on what is comparable to that. And during that time, the energy market um, was, uh, it was about to happen the same there as yeah. well. Yeah. And then they thought, can't we use technology in the home to help energy companies basically to get to these, um, these transition? Mm. And uh, that is why uh, when they thought about the idea to, to provide energy companies with a tool to give their consumers insight in their energy usage. Yeah, and uh, that, that brings me to my question as well, is that what, what does QB actually do? So uh, we talked a little bit about that, uh, that smart home hub. Uh, what, what do you actually create and what do you actually provide to, to your customers? Well, actually, what um, uh, QB has built is an energy display mm-hmm. that you can put on the wall in your living room. And uh, because we needed to have a place to put it there, uh, we came up with the idea that we could put it in the place where a lot of Dutch people have their thermostat. Mm-hmm. So that would be uh, a nice opportunity to have a device free-floating on the wall on a quite prominent place. So that was when the idea was born to include the thermostat functionality in there, because if you uh, take away the thermostat and put the screen there, then <laughs> yeah, you, you, have to you need to, of course, support yeah. the, the old function. And uh, that's basically how uh, the idea of Tone was born as a combination of an energy inside device and a smart thermostat. Yeah, and uh, that's that's uh, cool that you that you say that, because uh, QB is known for, for Tone as well, for creating that. Uh, but... A lot of people know it as a smart thermostat, right? They don't know it as a something that can do more than that. Um, so the perception is a little bit skew- skewed on that one. Uh, what, what would you say that the, the product actually is? 
So it, would that be the like home hub thing or even more than that? Well, n- not really a home hub because the mm-hmm. fact that, that it's, it's a hub, it, it's a, a, an, a display, a hub, and um, uh, a control uh, unit for basically devices in your home and, and your central, central heating. But um, uh, QB as a company, we're not a hardware company. We don't want to sell you uh, gadgets. We want to sell a service. And the hardware is basically the carrier over which we bring the service into the home. And one of the important parts that, that Tone as the device is providing is the data collection point to, to get the data that we need to, to give you inside in your energy home to show you what is efficient and what is not so efficient. And, and for now, that's evenly um, only moderately interesting. But with the upcoming energy transition, that is where things get really important. Because if you want to replace your central heating with, for instance, a heat pump, then you have to know quite a lot of things from people's homes. And people are not really capable of providing that information by themselves, like how well insulated is your home? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are the, the specific parameters that you need? And, and having technology in your home that is uh, collecting data um, can help to give you a better advice on, on how you will make that energy transition. Yeah, and you've done this uh, together with Eneco at the start, I think it was. Um, and a lot of people have that conception that it you have to be a client at Ineco to kind of use this thing, right? Um, uh, what what would you say is the? It, it's not like that, right? It's it's different from that. How, how would you explain it in this case? In this case, well, basically, um, uh, the fact that if you buy a tone, you become a customer of Ineco. Mm. Um, but it's a misconception that you can only buy a tone if you also buy the utilities from yeah, Eco, yeah. like electricity and gas. Yeah. So you can have only a tone and you can have your electricity and your gas from, from another provider. And um, tone will provide you almost the same services when you, when you do that. Um, there are a few ag- exceptions because if you have the energy from another provider, then we don't exactly know how much the energy is costing you. So we need to make a guess there. So some of the functions are a little bit less precise. But um, in the end, you just have tone with, with all the, um, uh, the, the, the extras that, that it provides you. And one of the reasons that we can do that is that because tone is not only the device that you can, can buy, but there's also a service on top of it. And Ineco is um, asking a monthly recurring fee for that. Yeah, And that's why it's not really a necessity to also force you to buy electricity and gas from Ineco. Okay, and uh, you can, of course, generate a lot of data and that has to be stored somewhere. Um, how, how, does that, how does that work? Do you, do you store that or is that something also that the energy supplier uh, has in-house or how, how does that work? Well, initially, we were very careful for people's privacy, and that's uh, the first version of Tone. The data was only collected and stored in the device itself, so on, in the, the display that's on, uh, the, on your wall, the living yeah. room. But later on, we, we discovered that if you want to really provide people insight in their energy usage and you want to give them really advice that, that means something, then you need to process that data. And, and uh, basically, the... Compute capacity of, of the tone device is too small to handle that. And also you need to have um, data collections from a large group of people to be able to, for instance, compare it to, uh, to the energy uses of, of similar households. But also if you want to, to see whether your washing machine is performing well, you need to have a lot of different washing cycles. And that's why we started to collect the data centrally. And um, we do that as QB for the energy providers that are our customers. So we, we have the platform and um, we store that data. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that you you mentioned uh, that you can actually see what kind of devices you have within your home. Uh, could you explain how that works? So how, how can you see that? Uh, because it's not like a dev- these devices are not smart, right? They're not talking to this tone and saying, okay, I am a washing machine or I am, a, for example, I don't know, a, a dryer or whatever. So uh, how, does, how do you differentiate between those? Well, um, basically, I think that uh, if I want to answer that question, I need to, to start at the beginning. Sure, yeah, so, go ahead. Um, uh, the first version of tone 
um, showed you your energy usage. So uh, very basic uh, graphs with um, electricity and gas, and then uh, how much per day, how much per week, how much per month. And then we uh, discovered that that was interesting for people for a couple of months, but then after a couple of months, you well, you you, you know what you use and um, uh, it, people lose interest and also people don't change their behavior anymore. In the beginning, you want to switch off a light or you want to turn down your, your thermostat if you're, if you're away from home and, and because you get this feedback that you mm. use less gas, it really works. You want but to see the effect, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So then we were looking to provide people with a more meaningful insight. So the first service that we de uh, developed based upon those ideas was uh, what we call in, in, um, in English the benchmark function and in Dutch it's called the vergelijk functie. Yeah. And what we did is then uh, that we compared your energy usage based on, on a daily basis, but also on a weekly and a monthly basis with um, households that had the same amount of people in the household that had a house that was roughly built in the same period of time. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, we had to, to start to collect the data um, centrally. Yeah. And um, then um, after that first step, we were um, trying to evolve into even more advanced type of, of advice. And then uh, we came to the conclusion that people want advice on, on actually what's happening in their home. And then you already said that, that devices are not smart yet. Well, increasingly, uh, yeah, there are devices it. on the market that are yeah. getting smart, but there is a problem is that is every manufacturer has his own silo. So your Samsung smart uh, dishwasher is not talking to your energy meter, is not talking to your thermostat, and is also not talking to the Miele um, washing yeah. machine. For There's instance. no standard for that yet. No, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that is a broader problem into smart home, um, but for uh, appliances, it's really um, uh, also um, a handicap for uh, innovation to, to, get, uh, to get on. So what we were trying to, to do is to see whether we could um, basically uh, get an indication of what a single appliance is using by only using the data that comes from your electricity meter. Mm -hmm. And because Tone is already a couple of years in the market, we are able to uh, measure your electricity usage uh, both with an analog meter by uh, counting the number of rotations of the spinning disk that is in, in a, um, a typical analog meter and with a smart meter. Mm -hmm. And the idea, um, the, 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 the basic assumption um, is that um, if you measure that frequently enough and a smart meter is doing that every 10 seconds, then if you have the assumption that within that 10 second time frame, there's only one appliance in your home that's being switched on or switched off, then you can um, uh, record the energy difference between basically um, the, your energy usage in a certain moment in time and 10 seconds earlier. And then if you switch off that device, then you will see the, the reverse. You will see that, for instance, um, uh, a television is 120 watts, for instance. If you switch it on, it starts using 120 watts. If you then look in time further, you see one and a half hour later, you see 120 watts going down. And then you know that there was a device um, using, using 120, 120 watts. watts for one and a half hour. Ah. And if you are making these kind of um, uh, basically uh, uh, these, these kind you're of, measuring it yeah. of, of uh, duplex um, yeah. uh, with switch on switch off combinations and if you start to, to go to group them into certain groups then you will see that each appliance has a specific fingerprint so if you look at a washing machine, for instance, then um, a washing machine starts with filling it up with water and then heating the water. So yeah. that is the first um, indication that um, uh, an appliance is using a lot of energy in your home. It's typically using kind of uh, 2,000 watts. And then it takes four to eight minutes, depending on whether you're washing on 30 degrees or on 40 or on 60 degrees. And then it starts to um, basically wash and then um, the, the motor is going to spin and that uses a little bit of energy, not too much. And that goes on for an hour, for one and a half hour. And then you have the, the drying cycle and that's when it starts spinning really quickly and then it's using a lot of more energy. And if you're going to record all these changes in energy and you combine them, then you will see that 
the the fingerprint of uh, such um, an appliance is is quite unique. So that is the way that we can distinguish between a dishwasher, between a, um, a washing machine, but also between a refrigerator because a refrigerator has a pump, yeah, and the pump goes on three times an hour for like five to ten minutes, and you can really easily recognize that that pattern, especially during the night when there's not a, a lot else going on. Then you can really easily see that. That must be a refrigerator. Yeah, and, and I'm just thinking while we were talking about that is, um, it it's pretty complex in the sense that you can also have different programs, right? So in some cases, for a washing machine or a dishwasher, it could be that I have a different program that does something else, right? Uh, how how do you know then that it's still a washing machine? Is that just because a lot of people are doing it and you have a lot of data, or how, how do you how do you differentiate between those? Yeah, well, that, that is, um, for one thing, is the power of the masses because we are collecting data from a couple of hundred thousand households now. And um, to give you an example, we are um, collecting over 75,000 dishwasher cycles per day. <laughs> so I, th- I think it's... It's uh, not if, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's if, a lot. <laughs> if, if you would use one dishwasher uh, to, to do that all, I think it's about one and a half million hours of, uh, of, washing. of dishwashing uh, altogether. Crazy, yeah. And um, because we have these large numbers, we are able to basically get a lot of the corner cases out of there. But um, as with statistics and with heuristics, you never get 100%. So there's always an uncertainty. So sometimes we are 90% sure that this specific fingerprint was a washing machine. Um, and then you need to get into uh, basically a conversation with the customer. You need to say, well, look, it looks like we found a washing machine. And then the uh, the customer says, yes, of course it was a washing machine. Or it says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even have a washing machine or a yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you need to take that feedback into account again when you go and calculate the next cycles. Yeah, about that feedback, because that's a good uh, good segue into what I was going to ask about that, is that you asked for those kind of feedback, um, but you don't only use the screen that's on your wall, right? You have a mobile app uh, for, for that as well. So uh, could you tell a little bit about that synergy between the, the screen on your wall, but also the thing that you have in your pocket, your mobile phone? Yeah, that, that's... Uh, Funny that you ask, because uh, Tone started off as basically only the screen on the wall. And because we were so privacy savvy uh, and everything happened there, we were also very inclined to, well, basically, if we wanted to do something, that we would show it on the screen of the display on the wall. And um, uh, that that was like, say, five, six years ago when we started with Tone also. um, The mobile phone penetration was not over the whole uh, Dutch user base that that Eneco has his customer base, also not as high as it is now. So there were a couple of reasons why we were quite display-centric in the beginning. And then if you you evolve in time, you will see that some of these use cases are very uh, well-suited to do on the screen on the Mm -hmm. wall, and some others are really not really suited. And um, the um, service that we just discussed is called the waste checker or in Dutch the verspillings checker and that is typically a service that is not really usable to um, display on your screen on the wall because yeah. it asks interaction and uh, it, it will take you some time to figure out uh, what the answers are and maybe you need to you want to, to go look at your um, your, your washing machine, for instance, you can't take the tone display up upstairs to, to your bathroom to go to your washing machine. So in that case, a mobile phone or a tablet is a much better um, interface to do that. So what we use now the screen for is more as the alerting function to just show you in a very non-intrusive way that something is going on. And then we offer the opportunity to basically to dive deeper into the details using the mobile app. Yeah, and... Um what was also cool to me, and that something we talked about in an earlier conversation as well, is that uh, you don't only look at how much uh, how much a machine is using at the at that any point of time. You're also kind of applying things like machine learning to see, okay, it this is really weird, but your dishwasher is really using a lot of power uh, at the mo- moment. Could it be that it's uh, I don't know. X amount of years old, right? Um, could, could you tell a little bit about that? About that kind of, um, yeah, that that kind of trigger that you can also uh, give to to your clients and how that uh, all comes together there. 
Yeah, well, there are a couple of things going on. Basically, the the detection of the appliances, some of them are quite easy to do. So, for instance, the refrigerator, you don't need to have machine learning algorithms to figure out what a... Uh, a refrigerator is yeah and then what we do is we start collecting data over a longer period of time and then we basically we compare the data that we find with your history and we compare it with with um uh, the same appliance with within other households yeah and then on top of that we also collect industry data so the, these energy labels that you you see on new appliances they give an indication of how much um an energy energy efficient dishwasher or refrigerator is, is is using and then these data combined we come to a conclusion that that either you you have an appliance that is just using a lot of energy or that you had an appliance that didn't use a lot of energy and it it starting it, to get more exactly and then based on that we give a trigger to a customer to start a conversation because um your washing machine can be using a lot more power because maybe you get um, a baby and you want to, um, um, you have a cotton diapers, for instance, and you want to wash them on 90 degrees. Um, there can be a very valid reason for a person to have a washing machine that suddenly uses a lot more power. Mm. Um, and we can't detect these kind of things yet. Yeah, yeah, it's logical because it's already hard in some cases to get the, the machines itself, but <laughs> getting it to, to know, okay, something in your situation changed while you're that's why you're using it more that's even harder i think yeah exactly yeah and what what do you what do you kind of see for for the future of uh, for example what you do with tone so what what's your kind of vision of what you um would like to what would like it to do in the future even more than what you are doing right now well, what I think is that um, we are currently ahead in quite exciting times because, uh, especially in the Netherlands, we want to uh, reduce um, uh, gas consumption because we want to get off the, the Groningen um, uh, gas field. Yeah. Um, and uh, that will have a huge impact on people's living and on people's houses and on uh, mobility. And um, I don't see any easy solution there yet. So there's not a single uh, remedy for this problem. And that's why you will probably see that there will be a large combination of different um, uh, measures to, to counter that energy transition. And to be able to do that in the right way, um, we need to um, use technology to help us there. So if you want to basically um, uh, don't overload the grid because everybody is coming home at 6 o'clock and puts their electric vehicle on the grid and starts... Um, uh, charging the battery, then uh, you need to have um, technology in place to be able to um, ensure that in the morning when you want to drive to your work that there is sufficient power in your car again, but uh, maybe in the evening when you don't want to go away, um, you can charge a bit later than just when you go go at home. So that is one example for, for an electric vehicle, but the same applies in, in your home. If you, if you look at, for instance, um, electric boilers, Mm-hmm. There, there are, I think, I think still one and a half million households in the Netherlands that have an electric boiler. Yeah. And uh, currently what they do is they start heating all when um, the, um, uh, the, the reduced tariff starts. And that is normally around 11 o'clock. So then at 11 o'clock, one and a half Dutch boilers are suddenly starting to heat up. And uh, that causes a peak in, in the electricity usage. And if you want to reduce that peak, you need to have the ability to switch on and off these boilers at different times. And to be able to do that without as a, you as a consumer uh, being um, uh, Involved, negatively yeah, yeah. impacted yeah. because you have a cold shower, say that you're working in shifts. And then um, the, one week you're, you're working during the day and one week you're working during the night. And you don't want that when you get back in the morning or you get back late at night that you suddenly ha- don't have any heat, uh, hot water. So you, you want to be able to, to sync that with the patterns that people are, um, are uh, on, yeah. with, with their habits. Mm. And uh, I think that, that a technology like Tone can help to detect these patterns and uh, to be able to either advise people um, how they can uh, basically uh, better operate their appliances or they can evenly do that automatically, like, for instance, um, the Nest thermostat is already doing with central heating. Yeah, and uh, I think it will become more of... um it, it can become more of something like a central thing that is in your house that collects all the data from all those kind of points that you have right now, right? And 
as you said, we're not there yet because a lot of those smart devices still use their own kind of language and stuff like that. And and I I don't really know. I, I don't have a, an insight yet into why that is. Uh, of course, every every supplier, everyone, everybody wants to have their own thing. Of course, but um, to me, it would actually be cool if you could say, okay, uh, tone is my kind of central thing in my house that controls all the smart things that I have in my house and also can detect some things that are going on that I didn't know about uh, before that, right? Is that something that you see for your future as well? Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, I, I do see that that tone is more and more becoming uh, this this kind of a uh, energy assistant that uh, ambiently and not too intrusively will guide you um, to make the right choices on on energy um, in in the energy yep. area, but no, I, I don't see tone becoming the um, uh, basically the central hub that connects all your devices in your home. I think that there are too many competitors and and also uh, companies like Google, like Amazon, they're going in that space right now, and um, their volumes they are so big, uh, they're. Um, competitive advantage in in uh, brand awareness in in uh, cost reduction because of the high volumes. I don't think that a company like QB can, on the long run, compete with that. So yeah. the idea is that we keep uh, evolving our services and that we try to leverage the other devices that get into the home to to play along in that ecosystem. Yeah. So you're you're more looking into uh, being a part of that kind of whole ecosystem that you want to build in your house than just being the central thing. That's that's what you're saying. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So for example, um, I can see myself uh, later on having a Google a Google Home or an Alexa and just saying, okay, what was my energy expenditure for? I don't know last week or something like that. Is that something that you also see? So you're kind of hooking into those other things that are uh, all, all available on the market right now. Yes, definitely. And Eneco um, is already doing some experiments with what they call, what you call conversational interfaces. So if mm. you have uh, um, a Google Home or you have an, an Echo that you can just um, ask what your energy usage was and um, this is only at the very beginning because you you'll you can imagine that if something happens that you you don't like that um, suddenly the speaker is crying out loud that uh, <laughs> yeah. your washing machine is using too much energy or something yeah. like that. So we we need to figure out what a a meaningful way of interaction is. But I definitely think that um, uh, voice is going to be uh, playing um, a significant role in in all smart home things and including energy efficiency. Cool. And uh, was what I was wondering is because next to Tone, you also create other products, uh, or at least you're you're uh, uh, trying to to do that. Um, what are some of the other products that you guys are building as well? Uh, yeah, we, we have been over the last couple of years have been expanding the Tone proposition with um, several add-ons. So one of the first ones was to be able to support uh, the. Um, uh, the the yield uh, registration for solar panels so that you can see how much your production was because if you have solar panels and you only measure the smart meter then you don't see part of your energy usage yeah so that was one of the first things that we did and um, after that because we already had um, uh, a wireless interface to connect with the module that we have in your metering cabinet to to read out your your meter um, we use a technology for that is called uh, Z-Wave. And because we had that, and Z-Wave is a standardized wireless protocol for for smart home products, Mm -hmm. we also uh, created the ability to connect to several um, uh, other appliances there, uh, most notably uh, smart plugs, to be able to either measure a single appliance if you really want to be be sure what your washing machine is using or Ah, the water cooker, uh, but also to be able to switch it on and off remotely, even if you're not, uh, not at home. And we have been able uh, to also integrate with um, uh, smart uh, smoke detectors. And because we already have this connected device in the home, it was fairly easy to uh, build upon that infrastructure that was already there, the the platform, so to speak, to also give you a notification when this smart uh, smoke detector is going off or when the batteries are getting low. Um, We have been integrating with uh, Philips U smart lighting. So this is all within the tone ecosystem. Yeah. Very recently, we um, 
We also um, uh, provide it for our Belgium customer because we, we are not only operating in the Netherlands, we're also having a partnership with Engie in Belgium and they uh, sell what is being sold as tone in the Netherlands, they sell it as box in Belgium. Okay. And in Belgium, uh, water is three times more expensive than in the Netherlands. So there's a use case there to also provide insight in your water usage. And we have been providing that very recently to them as well. Okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting because uh, a lot of, almost every country has a different energy expenditure because they use different kind of things, right? Uh, as you said, uh, in in uh, the Netherlands we have some people that use electric uh, boilers and stuff like that, but in a lot of in other countries I know that it's, it's a far larger part of the population that's using that. Um, so uh, what's interesting to me is actually that you kind of branded it's getting branded in every country a different way uh is that how does that work so does someone say okay i want to have this box for all my clients or how how do you get the uh, how do you actually sell that product uh, to to kind of energy suppliers or or whatever that, that relates to uh, the strategy that we had from the beginning on. Yeah. That is that we don't uh, want it to be a consumer brand. Um, we sell through partners, which is called the B2B2C model. Yeah. And uh, one of the advantages of using that model is that you can partner up with larger companies that already have um, a large customer base. And then you can uh, use the, the shared um, uh, needs of that customer base to get into the market faster. And you've seen that uh, the partnership with Ineco has been very successful in that. And in the way that we have been uh, growing in the Netherlands much faster than we could have done um, without the help of that, that partner. Yeah. And um, so what we've been um, doing is to export that same model abroad and then hooking up with um, utilities in other countries to um, basically do the same. And um, uh, that, um, turned out to be harder than we thought. And one of the reasons for that was that what you already said is that um, European houses are very different. And um, the first surprise that we had when we uh, hooked up with Engie in Belgium is that um, in Belgium, the situation is reasonably comparable with the Netherlands, but already there you saw that there were uh, differences that uh, caused us to um, have to, to adapt the, the product to that market. And to give you one example, that in the Netherlands, uh, your thermostat is using a low voltage to um, switch on and off the, the central heating. Mm -hmm. It's 24 volts. And that's the reason why in the Netherlands, everybody, each consumer is allowed to um, uh, replace their own thermostat and um, there is no um, hazard involved. In Belgium, 50% of the central heating boilers is operated with a signal of 230 volts. So, that so your normal output. Yeah, right? your, normal, your normal power. Yeah. And what you see there is that that um, causes di differentiation in, in legislation. So you're not allowed to just uh, <laughs> add it. stuff at, yeah. at your, your central heating boiler. But also our hardware was not capable of switching that. And it was surprisingly to see that, that even um, the, the module that was built for 24 volt that it took about 30 minutes to burn through, but then again, 30 minutes is not really a <laughs> lifetime that, um, that you, uh, you would expect for a consumer product. So we, we had to, to redevelop quite a part of our proposition. And to do that for every country, um, well, that was a handicap in, in the, the scale of our growth. Yeah, and I can imagine that if you go to a market like the United Kingdom, where they have a different voltage at all, uh, it's also different, right? Uh, well, luckily, they, they, they're driving at another side of the road, but they're still using 230 volts. Oh, so. they still are. Uh, oh, it's um, America is in a different uh, exactly. ballgame. Yeah, in America, it's 110 volts. Yeah, yeah, they have a different plug. That was the thing that was different. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that one. Uh, but yeah, I can I can imagine that, that that's hard. I mean, uh, every country has their own kind of expenditures. They mostly use the same products, I think. Uh, I mean, a washing machine in the Netherlands and a washing machine in Germany, if it's from the same brand, it will probably be the same, right? So you can still have that kind of... Um, you can still see the energy expenditure and know 
what kind of product yeah, is that, that is one of the reasons why um, the last two years we've been more focusing on uh, providing these services yeah. and less on the hardware that's necessary to basically to measure um, it. To, to measure it if you if you have an example uh, what's definitely different is the smart meter rollout in the UK it's, it's lagging from the Netherlands so yeah. it's now taking up a little bit but it's still behind uh, the, the coverage that we have in the Netherlands yeah. but it's also the way to connect to this smart meter is highly complicated mm, it's different it's just because it's a different is it because it's a different totally different uh, product that they use or yeah what is that? yeah in the netherlands there is a wired connection that you can use so that that's called the p1 port mm-hmm. and don't ask me why it's <laughs> it's called like that <laughs> it's called like that um and in in the uk and also in france um, they've chosen for a wireless connection using Zigbee as a radio. Mm. And then, so first of all, um, the first generation uh, Tone product didn't support Zigbee. So then you need to, to put in an extra radio. We did that for the second generation that we launched earlier this year. But then you also need to support the Zigbee protocols in your software. And then um, the security, at least in the, in the United Kingdom, is really strict. So you need to um, uh, make a connection with a third-party uh, kind of a clearinghouse, and then you get need to get uh, security keys to connect to a certain smart meter. So uh, that is something which is, um, it uh, requires considerable investment in, in development um, to, to do that. And yeah. um, so then you want to uh, first have a partner that is committed to um, larger volumes there uh, before you're going to do that investment. But on the other hand, that partner only wants to buy your product if it is capable of doing the things that you want. So you have a chicken and egg problem. There. Yeah, and the, 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 but what is a, a good thing is that your partner knows what's going on, actually, and what, uh, what kind of needs the people have, and also the situation that's going on in a particular country, right? So the whole ecosystem, how everything is hooked up, and they can tell you that. That's also, I think, a, a big advantage to using a partner, would you say? Uh, to, a, to a certain extent, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, so uh, we touched a little bit on that that smart home uh, market, and I wanted to get back to that a little bit. Um, where do you see that we are right now with that whole market? Do you still think it's like uh, it it's at the beginning, or what? What do you what do you think? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think that um, um, the situation is slowly improving a bit, and um, that is um, uh, one of one of the reasons why um, uh, things are improving in the uh, smart home situation is the fact that these smart speakers are so hugely popular mm-hmm. and that drives adoption of a technology in the home. But if you look beyond that and you see that there are still um, several competing standards in terms of wireless uh, connection. Yeah, so like Zigbee, uh, which is one that's pretty, pretty widely used, right? Um, I think well, Philips Hue is u- using it, right? Is yeah, and it? IKEA. Yeah, with the yeah free, true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but go on. What what do you think about the market right now? Well, it's it's still highly fragmented, so it's really difficult um, for normal people uh, to basically buy stuff that works together. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not um, e- even um, um, a service like um, Ift or um, the the new company that um, one of the founders of Triggy has uh, started, Olisto. Uh, which which is a kind of ift for the IoT. Um, uh, even even with these kind of additional um, uh, services, they are so hard to configure that most people uh, don't bother to do that. Yeah. So um, you see, in the house, hardware compatibility is an issue. Then on the service level, um, interworking between um, uh, different uh, products. So to give you an example, if you um, have a mobile phone, it would be really nice that if your phone is ringing, that you would be able to use it to um, mute the sound of your um, audio or your television. Yeah. And um, even there, um, it's already not working. Different yeah. vendors have not been able to come up with a solution that that makes that um, working over a wider range of. Um, uh, of, of different uh, uh, suppliers. So that is still um, basically for a lot of people making the barrier just too high to start doing things with that. Yeah, and uh, it, it reminds me of an article that I read uh, a while ago on The Verge, uh, which is a technology website. It it showed um, 
and there was one of the guys from Mythbusters was actually mm-hmm. doing the whole piece, and uh, he was showing what it takes to actually get a smart home really connected. Uh, and they had to really get a company that's going to pull all the wires and also uh, uh, create all the software. Actually, has they actually have their own software that they have to program to work with all those kinds of different uh, different technologies. And yeah, when I looked at it, it was. Uh, I don't know anybody that's going to do that investment into their home to get it smart. That that's something that I noticed is. Um, it's it, it, as you said it's too fragmented at the moment to get it all together uh, there are of course companies that are trying to do it i mean apple is doing it with their home kit and trying to get it integrated that way but i still think that we're a ways out from getting it really easily connected to each other that's that's the thing it's not that it cannot be connected it's just the e- ease of use is just not not there at the moment now, a lot of these um, issues, they remind me of the starting time of the internet when you had the browser war, for instance, yeah. and that you got to websites that were optimized for Internet Explorer 4. Netscape. And, <laughs> and, and, and uh, it's basically a bit, bit like that. Yeah. But then the difference is that um, the browser war was going on on a PC in a piece of software, and this war is going on in your home where you buy a washing machine for 10 years or maybe for eight and so the, the, the cycle times are much uh, longer and um, that will also cause the whole process to be a lot slower than um, it was on the internet when you when we were basically fighting on a PC. Yeah, and do you uh, use smart appliances yourself? Do you have uh, some things in your home that you use uh, a lot of the time? Um, Yes, and and that's mainly because of my um, uh, well uh, occupational. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, what what do you use? Um, one of the um, uh, smart uh, things that uh, I use very frequently, and that was also um, um, we now see as as kind of a really a benefit, is the the Philips uh, smart lights. Yeah, and specifically when I when I got the Echo Dot um, in my home and was able to basically. Um, control my lights with voice uh, that um, was the trigger for everybody in the household to start using it and how did they find it <laughs> well um, in the beginning they were very much against it because they thought that um, an was um, spying in the, in the <laughs> living room and, and things like that but but later on um, they, they get more and more used to it and and sometimes when when Madam a uh, because if you say the wake word and everybody listening to the podcast will uh, have a blue light in the, in the living <laughs> Alexa. room but, but, yeah exactly <laughs> don't do that um, but but she still sometimes she triggers on something that she thinks is her name yeah and then um uh, especially my wife gets annoyed by that but um it's it's basically something that people will they, they, they grow into it so. yeah yeah so it, it 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 takes some time to adjust to to getting those kinds of things actually i didn't it, it didn't work for me yet <laughs> i don't have it yet in my home but i've, I've t- tried it out and it's uh, I, I talked about it on a bunch of podcasts as well is that for me it's still a little bit awkward some for some reason i don't know why but that kind of feeling com- creeps over me if i have to like talk out loud to not a person but just to a kind of a device uh, and while i see that the kind of much younger people are actually adopting to it more quickly in a sense that they uh, even talk to their phones which is totally weird to me <laughs> but that, yeah, that's a, that's something i see this is definitely a generation thing my, yeah. my kids are also totally comfortable with uh, talking to uh, to appliances yeah uh, and uh it, the the I'm 29, and it's not that. That's not that old. I understand that, but the the other thing is that uh, a lot of when I talk about people that are younger, I'm talking about people that are like 14, 15, 16 at the moment. They totally have a different mindset, even though it's just 10, 15 years uh, between us, right? Uh, and that's 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 the crazy thing to me is that they are kind of uh, getting to know this a lot faster and a lot better than we are, and we still we like it. We think it's cool, but we're still kind of a bit hesitant. And they just embrace it, and that's yeah. It. But but um, uh, let me be frank with you. We're yeah. still in 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 the infancy uh, state. So yeah. if you, if you also look at uh, at the, the um, uh, Amazon uh, proposition, 
although it's really cool that you can talk to um, uh, to a device and that that you get a response, um, it's still very artificial. Yeah. So um, uh, th- there is uh, not enough context yet. So if you if you ask something and then you you ask a second question, then a lot of the times. She doesn't understand you anymore. Yeah. And um, yeah, the conversation part is hard. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, it it very frequently turns into something which is funny unless you want something to get done, and then it's frustrating. Yeah. I think that will um, improve over time. Yeah, the tell me a joke function is used <laughs> the most. So tell me a joke about Chuck Norris or something like that. It, it does that does work. So uh, I want to kind of uh, start wrapping up. The interesting uh, and last question that I always ask is, what are you most proud of from, since starting at QB and what uh, you've done over the last few years? Well, the thing that I'm definitely most proud of is the fact that I started um, when um, Tone was just launched in the Netherlands with Eneco, and um, we had a company of 35 people that were completely focused on Tone in the Netherlands for Eneco. We had around 20,000 uh, devices uh, sold and online. And um, in the last five years, we've been growing from that 35 people to a company with um, uh, roughly 110 people um, running an international operation with um, uh, 20 times the size uh, that it was in the beginning. And in that transformation, we not only moved um, all our software, that which was in the beginning still running on our own servers in a data center towards the cloud, we have also introduced um, this, this whole um, uh, data-centric thinking. We, we basically removed from a product-oriented uh, company towards a server, service-oriented company, which are really processing data on large scale. So we, we have collected more than a petabyte of, of data. That's uh, a lot. <laughs> over years from, from uh, people's uh, stuff. And we're still able to manage that. So that we have the technology to do that, that makes me as a CTO really proud. Cool. I think that's a good way to, to wrap it up. Um, where can people find QB on uh, the internet? QB.com. QB.com. Everything, if you want to l- learn more about what uh, what uh, you do at QB, uh, you can just find it there. Um, for the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com. And of course, we're on major all major uh, podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn, all, uh, all over the place. And uh, of course, on social media, uh, it's all bits vs bytes on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, listening, and until next time. Yeah.